Good, good morning. Happy New Year. Oh, now come on. Now come on. Let's try that one more time. Happy New Year. There you go. I, feel, I, I have to say this real quick, though, here at the beginning. I do kind of feel like I owe a lot of y'all a Merry Christmas. Can you believe the preacher skipped Christmas services last year? My goodness, for those of you who don't know, uh, we got the first Christmas Eve service done on December the 19th, and then the pastor came down with the dang COVIDs, and uh, man, it was unbelievable, but I, I want to say a special, special word of thanks to our staff, and our team did an incredible job of pivoting, and especially, especially to my bride, Julie, who did an amazing job of pivoting and carrying the preaching and the teaching part of the thing and making the whole thing go, so Thank y'all all very much for flexing with us on that. Apparently, COVID's real. Who knew? <laughs> anyway, it is a new year, which means it's a new day. It's a new beginning. We've got new adventures to chase, new dreams to pursue. Uh, probably some of us have already started thinking about maybe changing some old habits for some new habits. I w- I'm curious this morning, how many of us have made, and, and I mean this sincerely, like you have made serious, intentional New Year's resolutions. Can I just see a show of hands if you have? That's awesome. How many of you refuse to make New Year's resolutions? Can I see a show of hands? Okay, for those of you who just raised your hands on that one, how many of you refuse to make resolutions because they've never stuck in the past? We're a little less, we're a little more reticent to share that part, aren't we? But I think it is important to understand that a New Year is an incredible, incredible opportunity. If you have your Bible, whether it's on your phone or you've got kind of an old school paper Bible, I want you to go to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter number four. Zechariah is the next to last book in the Old Testament. If you get to Malachi or then, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've gone too far. Hook a U-E and come back. But in Zechariah chapter four, there's this amazing scene painted for us in scripture. And while you're looking that up, I want to give you just a little bit of background. Zechariah was both a prophet and a priest. He ministered around 520 BC before Christ, and his ministry overlapped with the prophet Haggai and the regional governor of the area, a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. Say Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. That's a great name. We're going to just refer to him as Z from now on. But Zechariah had this ministry, and he and Haggai and Zerubbabel were the leaders that God had assembled for a small remnant of people who had returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple. Now, I have to give you just a little bit of history, so bear with me, okay, because I think this helps to, to set the stage. In about 587 B.C., the nation of Israel had been divided into two sections. There was the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. And Judah was where Jerusalem was located. And in 587, Judah was taken captive into Babylonian captivity. And so they were there under Babylonian rule. But about 538 BC, the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. So now Israel, who had been under Babylonian rule, is now under Persian rule, and the king of Persia, a guy by the name of Darius, had decided to let a small remnant of Israel return to Jerusalem for the purposes of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem and 
rebuilding the temple that the Babylonians had destroyed. So that kind of sets the stage for where we are in Zechariah chapter number four. Zechariah is speaking into this small remnant and this, this day of a, of a new day, a new beginning. And it's kind of like a new year for us. You know, a new year, it, it, I understand it is, you know, technically it's just the turning of the page on the calendar. But isn't a new year also an amazing opportunity, an opportunity to recalibrate, an opportunity to recalibrate maybe how we allocate our resources, where, where our priorities actually play out. It's an opportunity to recalibrate how we execute our responsibilities, how we use the time and the gifts and the talents and the, the treasure that God has entrusted to us in this world. But it's also an opportunity to recalibrate how we evaluate results. Think about this. How do you define wins and losses in your relationships? How do you define wins and losses at work? How do you define wins and losses in your relationship with God? Are you intentional about thinking about where you are today versus where you were yesterday, last week, last year at this time? I think the turning of the page of the calendar, this new year, gives us an amazing opportunity and Zechariah is speaking into exactly this kind of a context here in Jerusalem around 520 years before Christ. And I want you to, to go with me. We're going to just read verses 8 through 10 that are going to really be the cornerstone for this series that we're beginning today. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Here's what the Bible says. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Tell your neighbor with a smile on your face, don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise small beginnings. Now that is an incredibly powerful, powerful, and oh so countercultural call from God. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. We're launching this series today called impact little by little. And one of the things that we're going to concentrate on over the next few weeks is the fact that God operates usually and mostly incrementally. I think a lot of us think about New Year's as exponential change, when in reality, God deals in incremental change more often than not. And I have to tell you right up front that this is a sermon series that I need. I, I'm, kind of a, I'm kind of a big picture person. I don't, the details just exhaust me. I, I don't care what we're talking about. If Julie and I are having a budget meeting, my eyes glaze over, my pulse rate drops, I want to take a nap. But you talk about big picture, you want to talk about vision, you want to talk about big dreams, man, that's, that's when I come alive. I'm like, man, let's go. We're going to change everything right now. And Julie's like, you know what? Let's change one thing. 
this week. I'm like, well, yeah, if you want to be boring, you can do that. But I think wherever you fall on that continuum, it's usually a function of personality. Neither one is right, neither one is wrong. They just are. There's this incredible opportunity for us to understand the power of incremental, little by little change. That's what Zechariah was talking about here. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. You know, when Julie and I got married, I, I, I had a sense, we had this sense, I think it was we, we had this sense that God was definitively calling us to, to get married. We, we had talked about it together, we had prayed about it together, we had sought counsel from other people. I mean, now, make no mistake about it, we, we were head over heels in love, the chemistry was clicking, and we did the homework. And we both had this sense that God was leading us to this, that we had this, this dream for a great marriage. I, I knew that we knew that we were called into ministry together, that this was a partnership God was calling us to. But even with all of that going on, in the back of my mind, I had a little, a little doubt, a little nagging suspicion that just kind of was pecking away at, at my confidence and God's calling in our lives. There was something in the back of my mind that was wondering for a long time. Because I was a child of divorce, was there something inside of me, either, either environmentally or biologically, that would cause me to kind of blow up our marriage like I had seen my parents' marriage blow up? And so I had this nagging doubt going on in the back of my mind until about seven or eight years into our marriage, one morning I, I was praying and I had this thought that I believe God deposited into my brain, my mind, and my heart. I didn't hear an audible voice, but this was the thought that hit me. When it comes to your marriage, you got this. You actually do know what to do. You actually are not environmentally or biologically pre-programmed to torpedo the whole thing. So just do the next right thing. Feed the fire of this marriage and make it everything that God wants it to be. And I had this, this amazing sense of just whew, peace and relief come over me. I, I was sharing this story for the first time just a few years ago and we were talking about it as a family afterwards and our son Joe goes, wait a minute. That was seven or eight years into your marriage. I was four before you knew this was going to work out. I said, well, Joe, I don't really know what to tell you about that, Hoss. Julie and I had big dreams for our marriage. And, and to tell you the truth, we have even bigger dreams now. 30 years in, we've seen God's faithfulness over and over and over again. But we have learned through experience and observation the power of big dreams with small beginnings. Big dreams and small beginnings. Just taking the next step, one foot in front of the other, one act of obedience after another. Big dreams and small beginnings. 
Huge dreams. I, I don't know where you are today. I, I don't know where this new year of 2022 finds you spiritually or, or emotionally or in your, your mindset. But I do know this. God has big dreams for you. He does. In Ephesians chapter three, the Bible says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Now, I want you to think about that. Just, just take that little phrase for a hot second, okay? To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. I think that that really means when, when we go to God with a, with a big dream, I, I think God looks on us as a loving father a perfect parent, and he looks at your dreams, the biggest dream you could dream, the biggest ask you could possibly ask. And I think God says, that is so cute. That is the sweetest, that is wonderful. I think that's great. Step back and let me show you what I have in mind. Let me tell you what I have dreamed and imagined for you. It's, it'll blow anything you could even comprehend out of the water. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, to him be all glory in the church in all generations. So, so this thing called the church, the family of faith, this is the vehicle for the glory of God. This is the vehicle for God's dreams, his doing more than we could ask or imagine. He does it through us. He does it in spite of us. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, he does it in spite of you. A couple of y'all enjoyed that more than you should have. But it's true. More than we could ask or imagine. So followers of Christ should dream the biggest dreams out there. Nobody should outdream us, but we must also have the humility to begin small, to, to take the next step in obedience. Here's the deal. The greatest impact of your life or my life, the biggest difference maker will never come from some grand resolution or over-the-top pronouncement. The greatest impact of our lives happens through resolute trust and faith in God lived out day in and day out in simple obedience, in just doing the next right thing. Resolutions are great. If you made them, man, awesome. You go get them, cowboy, cowgirl. But ultimately, the greatest impact happens through those small acts of faith-driven obedience. That's what Zechariah is saying into the nation of Judah here. He's saying, we had the chance to remember to rebuild this dream of God to make Jerusalem and the temple the epicenter, culturally, spiritually, commercially, socially for God's people. But man, don't, don't despise the day of small beginnings. And embedded here in the scripture are, are a couple of hyper-practical principles. These are what I would call incredibly doable doctrines, that, that if we will put them into practice, we will see these dreams that God has, beyond anything we could ask or imagine, become reality in our lives. The first hyper-practical principle, 
Celebrate the winning of beginning. Celebrate the winning of beginning. He says, don't despise these small beginnings. Don't, don't look down on small beginnings. Man, if somebody takes a step, feed the fire. Feed the fire. How many of you are parents? Let me see a show of hands if you're a mom or a dad. Okay, we know from time to time our children can frustrate us. But aren't there also those times, you know, every eight or nine years when they do the right thing? I'm just kidding. But when you see your kids doing the right thing, man, feed the fire. This, this, also, a true, this also is true for wives and husbands. Wives, if you see your husband doing the right thing, man, just feed the fire. You are breathing so well today. Yeah, and just, just watch. Just, I'm telling you, a hurricane begins with a gentle breeze. Just, just feed, celebrate the winning of beginning. Celebrate the fact that you took a right step. I think one of the greatest problems we face in trying to make changes, whether it's New Year's resolutions or anything else, is we are so incredibly hard on ourselves. We are so incredibly hard. Have you ever like decided, I'm going to change something. I'm going to, you know, I say I'm going to get in better shape. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to eat more kale this year. And you're measuring pounds of kale consumed. Or maybe you've decided, you know what? I am going to work on my anger. I am not going to fly off the handle over every little, what is that noise? You know, whatever it might be. But we have setbacks, don't we? We have, we have these things that where we fail, we don't measure up, we don't keep the resolution. And so we get so down on ourselves. Did you know that psychologists have studied this? And I'm going to paraphrase what the psychologists call this. They have, they have identified this, this cycle of frustration. They call it the what the heck syndrome. That's not their term, but we're going to say that on Sunday morning in church, okay? The what the heck syndrome essentially says this. Well, I broke my resolution to eat right, so I might as well go ahead and finish the whole half gallon of cookie two-step from Bluebell. What the heck? You see what I'm saying? But research has found out some fascinating, fascinating realities about us as human beings that God has known for a long, long time. One of the things that I think is so great about science, actual science, is that every now and then they're catching up to God. And science has discovered that when we are compassionate to ourselves, we are more likely to pick up where we left off and carry through our resolution or our desire to change. Kelly McGonigal is a Stanford psychologist and she writes this. If you think that the key to greater willpower is being harder on yourself, you are not alone, but you are wrong. Study after study shows that self-criticism is consistently associated with less motivation and worse self-control. It is also one of the single biggest predictors of depression. In contrast, self-compassion, you and I would call that grace, being supportive and kind to yourself, especially in the face of stress and failure, is associated with more motivation and better self-control. Isn't that interesting? The more you forgive yourself when you mess up, as our good friend Roy Spence says, when you mess up, fess up, 
the more you forgive yourself, the more likely you are to pick up where you left off and carry through your commitment. Isn't that interesting? So as a husband who has a great dream for his marriage, when I mess up, when I do fly off the handle, then I've got it. Man, I blew that one. I messed up. I was wrong. Own it. Confess it and repent and move on. And, and celebrate the winning of beginning again. Celebrate the fact that, you know what? I'm back on the path. I'm, I'm getting back in the game. I'm not taking myself out because I messed up one time. Celebrate the win when you begin. Do not despise these small beginnings. Celebrate those. Honor those in the lives of the people around you, but also in your own life. It's an amazing thing. Julie hipped me to something years and years ago that I didn't even know existed. Mom guilt. One of the main things that they combat and deal with through the Fearless Mom ministry is mom guilt. It's funny, I've, I've heard very little about dad guilt. I, I think that's an interesting phenomenon. But apparently moms are always, always worried that they have done something to mess up their kids. And this mom guilt can become so real and so heavy and so burdensome that it impedes the flow of mom love. It comes from the same place. But if, if you will learn to give yourself the same grace that God gives you, if you will learn to give yourself the same patience that God gives you, watch your progress pick up speed, pick up momentum, pick up velocity. Celebrate the winning of beginning. That's the first one. The second one, celebrate what God celebrates. What does he say? He goes, do not despise these small beginnings, but the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Does that surprise you? That might be kind of a revelation for somebody here today, to know that God rejoices, God celebrates, God enjoys something. I think a lot of times if we grew up in maybe a, a really legalistic, religious environment of some sort, you know, that, that we think God is about guilt, God is about shame, God, if you're having fun, you're doing something wrong. That's, that's not what the prophet Zechariah says. God rejoices to see the work begin. So we ought to celebrate that which God celebrates. He celebrates to see the work begin. Now, how do you know what God celebrates? His word. He's told us repeatedly throughout scripture, this is what I celebrate. This is what matters. This is how life works best. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question, don't you think? I mean, as, as human beings, we like to rank and stack things, don't we? Tell me what's number one, and everything else, we'll, kinda, we'll just focus on that one. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. 
Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. The whole Bible in two commandments. Love God with everything that you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. If you, if you want to talk about small beginnings with big dreams, love God and love people. So that's, that's how we define wins as followers of Christ. That's how we determine how we're doing. That's how we evaluate our results. How are we doing at loving God? Well, that can be a loaded question, can it? Back in Zechariah 4, it says, the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Now, I am not a carpenter. Don't even play one on TV. But my grandfather, Big Mac, was a mechanical genius. Had a high school degree, but he could fix anything. Carpentry, electrical, engines, plumbing, didn't matter what it was. People brought stuff to him from near and far. One of the things that was in his shop after he passed away was a plumb bob, a plumb line. And the plumb line is a fascinating tool. It was actually invented by the Egyptians, even before our boy Zechariah was prophesying. But it's a very, very simple tool. It just helps you decide or determine if a wall or if a structure or a board is plumb. Level is horizontal. Plumb is vertical. And the Bible says that the Lord rejoiced to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Now, plumb line is really simple. It's just a weight, usually lead, attached to a piece of string or twine that just shows you straight up and down. That's, that's the plumb line. Zerubbabel, the governor of this region, in charge of the construction project, had already laid the cornerstone, but he had the plumb line, wanted to make sure that the walls were plumb, that the lines were straight. You know, God talks about a plumb line elsewhere in Scripture. The book of Amos. In Isaiah, God says, I will test you with the measuring line of justice and the plumb line of righteousness. I will test you with the measuring line of justice and the plumb line of righteousness. Plumb line of righteousness is the word of God. I don't determine what's righteous. I, I hope it's not a shock to your system to know that that's not your shot to call. Scripture, the word of God, tells me if my life is in plumb, if it's, if it's true, if it's 
in line with what God says. Now, that doesn't mean that it's easy. There, there's, some, there's some hard parts in Scripture. And that's, that's okay. You're, you're talking about finite, imperfect creatures trying to discern and understand an infinite, perfect, holy, completely righteous God. And we're trying to figure out what, what does God celebrate so that that's what we celebrate? He said, I'm, I'm going to test you with the measuring line of justice and the plumb line of righteousness. That's it. That's, that's the reality. And so it's against this backdrop that we start a new year. It's against this backdrop that we come to understand yeah, big dreams, awesome, go, chase them. Small beginnings. God had a big dream for humanity. He created us for relationship and collaboration with himself. And then our sin got in the way of that. Our sin ruptured that relationship. It interrupted that plan. But look at Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter three, the Bible says this, now all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance and his patience he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished justified freely justified freely not cheaply you're being justified my being justified that it means to be made right with God cost God his son it cost Jesus his life on the cross when he became my sin and he became your sin. But then he did what we couldn't and he rose from the dead. And in his resurrection, in his coming to life again, he had the offer of a new life to be justified freely, forgiven of everything and made right with God. You don't want to know what God celebrates? The Bible says that all of heaven celebrates when one person comes to faith in Christ. When one person repents from their sin and turns for home with Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. In this moment, as a church family, we want to give you the opportunity to do exactly that. To spiritually turn for home. To accept personally and definitively what Christ did for you on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead 
to make it your own, to appropriate it yourself. If that's you, then we invite you to pray. Just right where you are, silently, something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you because of the sin in my life. And so I confess my sin to you, holding nothing back. In order to receive your amazing grace, your forgiveness. And I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I have. I pray this prayer in your name. I wanna ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If that was your prayer, then this is the biggest moment of your life. And as a church, we wanna help with the moments that follow, with what comes next. Jordan mentioned earlier in the service that QR code that's in the seat back in front of you. That's there so that we can help in in whatever way necessary, whatever way that we can. If you just use that QR code and let us know if today was your day to commit your life to Christ. Like I said, so that we can help with what's next. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to just ask you if, if you did pray that prayer of commitment, that prayer of beginning a relationship, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment as a statement physically of the commitment you just made spiritually. And know that as a church, as a family of faith with you and around you, we celebrate that with you. You can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're gonna put our hands together and tell you welcome home. Welcome home.